1: You are listening to As A Woman, episode 132, Should You Freeze Your Eggs, with Dr. Julie Lamb?
0: Welcome to As A Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman.
1: Hi friends, welcome back to the podcast I'm so excited and always honored to have you here And today I'm having a friend and colleague, Dr. Julie Lam Talk about freezing your eggs and what we want you to know Dr. Lim works at Pacific Northwest Fertility after she did a fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at UCSF in San Francisco. She was a Fulbright scholar. She has spent time in Zimbabwe working towards women's reproductive health, and she is the recent author of her new book, her first book, The Fertility Expert's Guide to Egg Freezing everything you need to know about putting your fertility on ice. She is the director of fertility preservation and overall, she is just a huge advocate for women understanding their fertility better. Dr. Lamb, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for coming on the As A Woman podcast to share your expertise with all of the listeners. Great. Thanks for having me. I to start by just letting everybody get to know you a little bit better. And I always ask some of my physician guests to explain this crazy world of medicine. How did you end up as an REI as a fertility doctor? Because that's not a job most of us think of when we're little
0: that we want to do when we grow older. So what was your path to get to this place? That's a great question, Natalie. I think there's so many life circumstances that point you to where you are today. I think my first introduction to women's health and having a passion for taking care of women at a vulnerable time came from my mother, who was an OBGYN nurse, and watching her work and her affect lives growing up was really impactful. And the second thing that really made an impact on my life and my decision to practice uh, fertility medicine was a a Fulbright scholarship that I did. in. Smarty,
1: look at you.
0: (laughs) And it was a year long experience taking care of women with HIV. But one of the things I did because I knew I was interested in medicine is I worked in this burn unit and volunteered on the weekends. And I really, I met a lot of women that were there because they were disowned from their family and tried to commit suicide through uh, fire and burning. Oh and it really, at, you know, you think of Africa and you think of the plight, you know, contraception and birth control. You don't think of infertility and the firsthand stories I heard from women and how it affected their lives in a third world country and how it impacted their definition of themselves was really impactful. And it changed the way I looked at, you know, reproductive health and reproductive choice. And it really made me long to help that patient population here in my own community.
1: I think that's such an interesting point that we don't always think about in the world that we live in right now, is that how infertility itself can have people disowned from their families and their cultures. And there's, it's such a isolating and stigmatized thing, but in certain cultures, it's truly life-changing,
0: right? Right. It just really changed my outlook on how important fertility is in so many different cultures and how important it is in our own culture and is often overlooked by the fact that we just don't discuss it very often. So breaking down these barriers like you are with talking to patients and talking to women and social media is really life-changing, I think, even
1: Sure. You're so sweet. So you did this before you went into medical school, right? So you entered right. into the medical world with a strong interest already in reproductive health and with a a draw, at least inside of you, understanding what that burden of infertility is kind of right. at a young age that
0: most of us don't really see, right? Right. Exactly. And it just grew through, um, you know, practicing medicine and taking care of women and yeah, through throughout I, the science behind it, like all of those things really integrated into the medicine that I get to practice today and have grown to just really love. You are such a huge advocate
1: for egg freezing and you even have a book about it, which we're going to talk about. But one of the things I've always been so impressed by you is I feel like you became this egg freezing advocate before it was cool, like before it was trendy to do so. And does that come from like your training and fellowship or why do you think... You've always been on this camp of like fertility preservation and egg freezing and really trying to empower the women in that space, which is, you know, oftentimes before we have true infertility.
0: Right. Uh, Natalie, it really made a big impact on me seeing unintended childlessness from trying to achieve their family building goals at advanced ages, and training in San Francisco and then here in Seattle. And I think, you know, I wanted to change the conversation. I want it to not be fear-based and I want it to be education-based. I want women to learn about their fertility and have a chance to make decisions that are right for their future. And it's not always egg freezing or embryo banking. It's more about learning how fertility changes with age and really educating women so they can make good choices for themselves.
1: I feel like you're my soul sister on that one right there. So it's crazy how how much we don't talk about fertility when we're at younger ages. And I do think you know, social media and other platforms has expanded that world a little bit, but how much even highly educated, very successful women will sit down in our office and are shocked by some of the just facts and truths about reproductive aging that they wish they could turn back that clock a little bit and have made a different decision.
0: Right, I think in one generation we really went from having kids in our 20s and 30s to having kids in our late 30s or even 40s, and the information gap just hasn't caught up. Even when you and I went to medical school, they're not teaching this in the classroom. Mm-hmm. To we see physician patients that are shocked by this, and I think you know it's propagated by a lot in the media and um, you know people not talking about their fertility journey, journeys and making pregnancy at advanced ages look natural and easy. And giving this false conception, even that IVF for assisted reproductive technology can really overcome age and it just doesn't. And so really educating people about that is where this fertility preservation interest really came from.
1: I agree with that so much. I see all the time people really floored that when they're, you know, age- 45, 46, that, you know, IVF isn't going to overcome their problem. And I do think you're so right that a lot of times this is celebrity or mainstream media driven, that we see people having these pregnancies without understanding, maybe they went through IVF years and years ago, maybe they used donor eggs, they're so secretive about it, yet it gives people this idea that these pregnancies in the 40s are the norm, when really they're not. I mean, it can definitely happen, but it's certainly not the norm or or easy for most people. Right. Right. Yes, I completely agree. What are the biggest, so maybe before I ask that, when you decided to write the book, let's talk about that before we go over some of your biggest tips and kind of thoughts when it comes to fertility preservation. What drew you to write a book? Did you always want to write a book? Was that on your Julie dream bucket list or was it just feeling like you were saying the same thing over and over again and wanted to have a better platform for that? Tell me.
0: Yes, definitely it was the later, the latter. You know, I felt, yeah, I've never been called to be an author, but at the same time, I had so much information to share with my patients that it kept me from getting to know them as a person. You know, I want to know their story. I want to listen to every detail that they want to tell me about their, you know, fertility journey or history and and instead, I found myself trying to like give them all this information in one short amount of time that I clearly knew that they weren't absorbing or it wasn't, you know, needed information at that point in the journey. So I did this to provide kind of an evidence-based resource for my own patients to kind of meet them where they're at and have it available when they're ready for that piece of information to digest it kind of at their own pace.
1: I love it so much because there are a lot of fertility, fertility books out there and different options, but really targeting the person who is concerned about their fertility yet really isn't deep into that infertility stage journey, right? That's who the book is really
0: targeting. Right, exactly, exactly. And so it's a way for women to learn more about it without having to even make a doctor appointment initially. So, you know, I think you get a lot more out of your physician consult when you're able to, you know, be informed about the process and understand your fertility. And you can make a lot more informed decisions for yourself based on information that you learn about your body and your fertility.
1: I think that is so true. And I do see patients who come in with this level of knowledge about the basics, able to ask well thought out questions and absorb more of the process versus what you're saying. And I think this is interesting because I feel like some patients almost feel guilty if they go down the Google rabbit hole or they research ahead of time. Although I honestly tell everybody, research all you want. I'd rather you come in with some basic knowledge because then we have our hour together is so much better spent versus us trying to get you up to speed on some of the basic stuff that we can't even get into some of the true questions you have or decisions you need to make or something right. you need meat of that. Yeah, right?
0: exactly. And I feel like sometimes when we're just going through all the details, it can be more overwhelming. So having time to digest like all the pieces of the process, I feel like, you know, knowledge is power. So no, the more you know, the less overwhelming it is.
1: when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Thank you, Quince. Yeah, and we're so terrible. I mean, just in medicine in general. I'm going to sit here for an hour and share all this knowledge with you. And if you're not processing it right away, you don't have any like tangible, here's, I mean, well, now you have, here's the book about it. But for most people, it's truly like, if you miss something, that was your chance to hear and understand it. And that's really- not how we learn things. It's like going to a lecture hall and not like taking notes, not seeing anything, just hearing the professor speak and then having to absorb and understand all of that information they're going over
0: that one time. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when my patient is recovering from her egg retrieval and has a question about bloating or constipation, like everything's right at her fingertips. Or if, you know, she's talking to a friend and different acronyms come up for different medications, she can use the references in the back and know, you know, exactly what medications they're taking. And maybe they just have a different name than hers. So it just gives, it's like me being with them all the time and being able to ask me questions. Fertility doctor in your pocket. I love it love it. And a nurse, you know, I, I wrote this with one of my colleagues, one of our coordinator, IVF coordinator nurses, and she's amazing. And just getting like all her tips and tricks. Like we try to impart all these little secrets and tips and uh, ways to do things to make, optimize the success and make it easier. And, you know, if you're not needing that, that exact tip at that moment, you don't necessarily it. file it away for later. Exactly. And I love that
1: you wrote it with a fertility nurse, because the reality is their job and our jobs are so different. They actually have this extremely valuable but different knowledge base. And they really face with the patients on the day-to-day of what they're doing so much more. And so I think that's such a smart move that you did just overall. And I think that's so beneficial to patients to get that fund of knowledge too, right? Not just a doctor, but it's like the whole team.
0: Right. Exactly. You really need nurses help. Like is having someone sit beside you is like what this book does for patients. I
1: love it. Okay. Let's go over just some of your advice and thoughts on the process. So we have somebody who's listening and let's say they're considering freezing their eggs. What do you advise? Step number one, what should they do?
0: I say, you know, think about where you are, you know, what your family building goals are and learn about how fertility changes with age. Talk to your OBGYN. You know, I think, you know, it's never wrong to just meet with a fertility specialist to learn about your fertility and learn about your egg supply or what we call ovarian reserve. If you don't feel like you're getting the answers that you want from your OBGYN, you know, some OBGYNs have a real interest in fertility and are really great at counseling you, but not... Not not the majority. And so I think, you know, I never want a patient to feel like if they come and see me to learn about their fertility and learn about their options that they need to freeze their eggs. And I think that's the uh, misconception Mm -hmm. that, and unfortunately maybe um, with some providers, that's true. It's probably the reality in some places. Yes. And that's what scares me. Um, But I want to welcome patients to come and talk to a provider and to learn about their fertility and learn about the process so that they can decide it's what's right for them. You know, some patients decide that they're going to try to conceive earlier based on learning about how fertility um, changes with age, if they're ready to parent or others, you know, will put it off until, you know, for a few years as they make life decisions. And so there's no right or wrong answer. I just feel like it's so personal and reaching out and learning about it is the first step even if you never end up doing
1: it. Yes. Yes. I love that you said that because I I feel the exact same way. And I always tell patients, you don't know what you'll do with the information until you have it in hand. You think you might know, but once you realize the reality of your situation or what your choices are, you then at least get the opportunity to understand it. And you make the choice. If you actively say, I'm not going to freeze my eggs and I'm not going to try to get pregnant right now because I'm not ready and I'm going to wait. That my egg count is low. I know what I'm risking, but I feel good with this option. And I could always get pregnant later with donor eggs or this or that. You made that choice then, right? You can't control right. how fast your eggs are, your egg quality and some of these other variables, but at least you were the one at that moment to make the choice versus never knowing and never having that data point to make the choice based off. And of course, probably like you, I have so many patients who will get pregnant earlier than they were thinking. And they're like, well, I want to be a parent. And I was just waiting because of X, Y, or Z. But in light of this new information, I'm not going to freeze my eggs. We're actually going to try to start getting pregnant soon or make some very different life choice. I always say, go get the evaluation. That is,
0: you're not committed to anything. Right. Exactly. And if you ever feel like you're being shamed because you're not moving forward, like then it's time to find another. Opinion, go to a new place, go to a new
1: driver. place, <laughs> like yeah. wave the red flag out. Cause that's not, that's yes. not the environment you should be in. Exactly. I, and I bet you're going to answer this like much other I do, but when people ask you, what's the best time or what's the best age to freeze your eggs at?
0: I say it's a super variable depending on what your family building goals are. You know, as I get farther in my career and we see more and more fertility benefits, that weighs into the conversation. The out of pocket cost, like is a big deal. It's not inexpensive to get medical treatment. And you know, someone who's 28 that I would usually say, you know, you might not you have such a high chance of never needing these eggs, but she's moving you know, to Europe to do a seven-year PhD and she's losing her benefit, she might make a different decision than someone who's 28 and married and thinking of just starting their family in the next couple of years. So it's such an individual conversation, I think, that you can't promote egg freezing for everyone at every age. But I think, you know, in general, I tell patients, well, if you're, you know, approaching 35 and you know, you're going to delay having kids and you know, you want your own genetic kids and you're not interested in donated egg and learning about these other options aren't good options for you, then that's probably a good age. I love that. I usually say a version of that was something like the
1: moment you're thinking about it is the moment to start exploring it. If it is on your mind and you're asking that question, should I consider freezing? my eggs. Well, that's the moment to go get the evaluation and start to consider it. And maybe it is, oh, you're 28 and you could freeze your eggs in three to four years if you're not ready to get pregnant. Or maybe it's your 28 and oh gosh, your egg count's low and you better start freezing them now because you're not ready or you start getting pregnant. So the moment you start wondering about that, it's just so interesting because in no other aspect of our life, especially for high achieving or successful career oriented women, would you ever just have a wait and see approach be okay, like we do with fertility?
0: Right, exactly. No one tells you, you know, to plan for your fertility future like they tell you to plan for their finan- your financial future. No one would say at twenty eight that you shouldn't think about how you know retirement and Roth IRAs and all the things that we plan for our whole lives. But very rarely do people bring up planning their future fertility and their future families,
1: and it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I do think for the vast majority of people you know they get pregnant they don't have infertility and ends up being fine but we are seeing as to your earlier point more and more people delaying the start of their family and then most people want more than one child or if you do want more than one child and you're not starting your family to 39 how does how does the math play out there right like does it really make sense or are you compromising on the number of kids or the family size or the experience you want
0: Right. Exactly. And I think that there's a lot of medical indications that aren't discussed that are very good reasons to learn about your fertility earlier. You know, I don't want women who has endometriosis or who has a dermoid and had surgery on her ovaries. She shouldn't be waiting till 35. We should have this conversation sooner. So, you know, delaying your desire for parenthood isn't the only reason for this. There's so many reasons that are, you know, medically indicated as well as age.
1: I totally agree with that. Endo, ovarian surgery, those patients, they should get an evaluation much sooner than later and give it a stronger consideration. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, we both know how destructive endo can be. It's just terrible. Right. And so,
0: we want more options and more doors open for people. Right. Exactly. The, if your mother went through menopause in her early 40s, like you shouldn't be waiting to 35 to talk, mm. talk and learn about your fertility. So I think, you know, we should I'm hoping that they start teaching this in medical school. One of my recent interests is how to integrate this fertility conversation into a well women's visit. So I really enjoy teaching OBGYNs you know, when you go to your and she says, what are you using for birth control? Yes.
1: But, I always say the same thing, but they never ask, well, when do you want
0: to start your family
1: or have yes. you thought about your family planning goals?
0: Exactly. And, you know, now that you're 35, you know, what are your, your family building plans? And, and that conversation gets people thinking. And so I think, you know, you talking about it and everyone, you know, using their own platform to discuss it is really helpful. So women can you know learn about their fertility before it's over
1: if somebody wants to freeze their eggs so they've made the decision let's say they're getting they've gotten the evaluation done they know that this is kind of the next step for them. How do you recommend that they prepare for the process, whether it is resources or like healthy habits? Do you have anything that you recommend kind of before the egg freezing process for people?
0: Sure. I'm sure it's very similar to your own, to the Dr. Crawford method as well. (laughs) Just like IVF, you know, we want to, we take kind of the whole body approach and anytime you're doing something like this, you want to give yourself the best chance of success. So whether it's a multivitamin or CoQ10 or some of those things, minimizing alcohol, not smoking, um, all of those things that we think about. But some of the biggest things are just minimizing the impact on your life and stress during the process. So this is going to be a lot easier for you to tolerate the process if you're not trying to balance it with a very busy social life and a very busy a jo- stressful job. So building time into your life to take good care of yourself during the process. So you can go to the yoga, you can do the meditation, you you know can go to bed early if, if you're not feeling as good as you had hoped, those kinds of things.
1: And now a word for one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know the women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. Know my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. I love it. Yeah, I always say it's interesting because we have this idea that, like, our systems or our ovaries are siloed off in this other area. But really, like, what's good for the body is good for the eggs. And we know those are things that decrease inflammation and increase energy. So it's absolutely not rocket science, but sleep and stress reduction techniques and eating fruits and vegetables and antioxidants and not smoking cigarettes and not, you know, kind of all the things being exposed to toxins and things like that. So It is interesting to see how the conversation has switched, at least throughout my career, where people used to say, oh, it doesn't matter. There's nothing you can do. And then, you know, we've seen more and more evidence show up that these things that perhaps are hard to study actually do tangibly matter when it comes to how your body responds to the process, how your eggs respond to stress. I mean, they're single cell and we're telling them to grow and taking them out of the body and freezing them or fertilizing them. It's really fascinating. So, of course, they respond to the environment of which they grow in.
0: Absolutely. And encouraging encouraging women to just like take good care of themselves is always a good idea. But when you're doing a process like this, even if you get one or two fewer, like we're really good at looking for ways to blame ourselves. So is it because I had that glass of wine? Is it because so just doing everything possible to give yourself the best chance of an outcome. And then just knowing that there's no one thing you're going to do that's going to make it or make it work or not work just takes off some of that stress related to the whole process.
1: What do you think are some myths that you have encountered in your experience that people have When it comes to either fertility preservation or, you know, egg freezing or aging, is there anything that comes off the top of your head? Sure.
0: Like I think the most common misconception is if I, you know, just like everything we are used to doing in our lives, if we work hard and we do everything perfect and follow the book exactly, we'll get the results that we want. And that's just not always the case. So to have something that's so outside of your control, I think is one of the most stressful pieces, but and a common misconception. With it not working, like it might not work. And that that's overwhelming for people.
1: I was going to say the two biggest things that I see, um, one is that, well, I can always do IVF. Like the idea that IVF is always going to work. And it's like this backup method where it's really a very good option to get pregnant, but it does not always work. And we know people who've gone through IVF cycles know that very well. But I think some people purposefully delay childbearing with this idea like, well, I can just do IVF if I need to, if I have a hard time. And it's not really quite as simple as that. IVF is highly, highly tied to ovarian reserve and your age of which you are when you go through the process. And the other one, which maybe I'll get you to to kind of explain your take on this one, because I use the same analogy all the time and the listeners probably want to hear something different, is that, you know, the fear that if you freeze your eggs or go through IVF that you're going to run out of eggs faster. And we both know that's not true. But how, how do you describe that to people when you answer that question?
0: Um, I get that question often, right? So I talk to patients about this little cohort of eggs and one releases and the rest die away. So even if you're on a birth control pill and you're not releasing an egg every month, that cohort that becomes hormone receptive or responsive every month is lost. And so that's how you run out of eggs someday. It's not because you lose one a month. It's because you lose that whole cohort every month. So the success and the science is limited by the size of that cohort, which is represented by the ovarian reserve. And that maturing that cohort and saving it for later is what this process does. And so it doesn't use up eggs quicker or cause menopause sooner or help, you you know, make you run out of eggs because we can only have available to us that small cohort that's there. You know, our job would be a lot easier if we could get 200 (laughs) eggs in a single month, you know, it'd be much more efficient to do IVF.
1: (laughs) I always use this analogy, like there's a little vault inside the ovary where all your eggs are stored and each month a little group or a little cohort comes out of the vault and one ovulates and the rest die. And we're just trying to get whatever's out of the vault to grow, you know, you, but you can't tap into the vault. And I always say thing, man, I wish I could. I mean, that would be great when it probably will happen eventually, but at the current moment, we don't have that technology right. available right. to us. Yeah. And this is why people need, well, why the experience is so varied. And I think that's why it's, it feels hard or overwhelming to people because you and your best friend who are going to have very different ovarian reserves, different medical conditions, different situations, very well might get a different number of eggs or need multiple cycles or not. And so it feels like, oh, I got less. Maybe I did something wrong, but you're limited by whatever your body's doing. You don't have control over that factor.
0: Right. Exactly. I think that's something that I discuss with a patient every single day, right? It just feels so unfair. You know, that's the other misconception is you can look young and feel young and be healthy and still have a very small ovarian reserve or, you know, not respond as well as you'd hope to the medication. And, you know... Because we feel, because 40 feels like the new 30, it doesn't feel fair. And people just assume that because they're so healthy and they have such great eating and exercise habits and they're gonna have a good result in that or a good ovarian reserve. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Right, and
1: so when we talk about testing ovarian reserve, we're really both talking about evaluating the number of eggs that have been you know released from that vault or that are in that small cohort. And so that's with an ultrasound or a blood test called AMH. And when we're telling people on this podcast episode... Oh, at a minimum, if you're considering it or you're purposely delaying childbearing, go get a fertility evaluation. Those are really the two top things that we're talking about. Getting an ultrasound to count your antral follicles, getting an AMH blood test, and having an open and honest conversation about your reproductive goals in light of your age and those values, right? I mean, is there exactly. anything you add to that?
0: Yes. No, you're you're so articulate. I'm so excited by how passionate you are and how eloquent <laughs> you are talking about these bolts, like how great it would was- be if a woman could just ejaculate her own eggs. Like I know, come that's on, a, not fair. Yeah, it's just another gender inequity someday. <laughs>
1: Oh my God. I've never heard anybody say that. I love that so much. It's so not, then they're not on the outside of the body. We got to like go away
0: inside. It's just totally not fair. Yeah. Um, And they age differently than sperm. Like uh, it's just, you know, the more I learn and talk about this with patients, the more gender inequities there are. It's just not, it's not fair, but it's a good time to embrace, embrace them and learn about them. So you can make an informed decision for yourself.
1: Let's say that you are a patient and you say, okay, I'm considering this. I'm going to go get my fertility evaluation done. And you come in and we both see this patient probably multiple times a week. And you get an ultrasound and you get your AMH and they are lower than expected. So suddenly you are hit with this really, usually it's pretty shocking news that something's not as it should be. And it might, might is the big question mark, cause problems for you depending on your goal. Where do you initially go in counseling patients and what do you want to tell the patient about like their chances of getting pregnant naturally or what this means for their fertility?
0: Yes, sure. I think that's something that comes up all the time. And I think, you know, I start by, you know, having them take a deep breath with me and saying, you know what, we never base anything on one data point. Let's get some more information. These are other ways we can look at that. We might do a day three FSH and estradiol. We might stop a birth control pill and recheck the AMH after that it's more of a conversation about how this doesn't define you we don't base anything on one one data point and it's not doesn't tell me whether you can get pregnant or not so this we spend a lot of time in the book actually discussing how you know if you're amh even if it's undetectable you might try for one month and get pregnant so age is really what determines that the most. And so certainly it's concerning. Certainly we're not going to disregard it. We're going to follow it over time. Certainly it impacts how efficient the IVF process might be for you, but the success of it is based on your age and the number of eggs.
1: I have so much to say on this because I agree with you wholeheartedly. (laughs) One is that Yeah, right. The body doesn't care when you're trying to get pregnant naturally how many eggs are in the cohort, right? Doesn't care if nine die or four die or 28 die. It only cares about the one that ovulates when you get pregnant naturally. But I see... We know that IVF success per cycle, which unfortunately is somewhat what a lot of our clinic-based success rates are dictated on when it comes to SART and other things, are going to be lower per egg retrieval if you have fewer eggs. And I see patients all the time who come to me for a second opinion who've been told that they're not candidates for IVF because they have a low egg count, even though they're young. And it's crazy to me because you know, that might be the case if you're, you know, you're much older and your, you know, rate of genetic abnormalities is high and you have to have an honest conversation about the math, but somebody who's younger, who still has a good quality of eggs. I mean, I see them declined for IVF at places all the time and it drives me crazy. And I'm sure you feel the same way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's the person that needs IVF the most. You know, I, you just yesterday I had a conversation with a patient after four cycles that we canceled because nothing grew. And then she gets one egg, it fertilizes, and she's pregnant. So I tell patients, like, it might be extra frustrating for you. You might have to stop and start a bazillion times. It's not going to be as easy. And this isn't the way you were hoping to get pregnant, but you still have a chance. Like, and, this is
1: the moment.
0: Right. Everyone's different in what they, you know, what they decide. Some patients just don't want to bother, and others, you know, really want to try no matter what. And so that conversation is just so personal and individualized. And yes, I agree. It's sad that some clinics just or physicians just don't want it, the burden of how difficult those conversations are and how frustrated it can make you as a patient and how it can affect your SART data. But when you look at the patient on an individual basis, and you've um, got to do what's right for them, what's right for the patient. I
1: know. I mean, I always tell patients or I always say on here, I mean, specifically, really one, if you're getting a lot of roadblocks or somebody who won't answer your questions or is just telling you this is the only, only option and you don't feel like they're counseling you well or giving you choices or understanding your goals, always get another opinion. But if you're, you know, under 35 and you still have periods and somebody's telling you donor eggs is the only option, that should be a huge red flag. I mean, there are circumstances where that's the case, but if you're having periods, that means there's some eggs there. And for somebody to come in and say, that you can't even try. I have a patient right now who's got blocked fallopian tubes, a terrible AMH. A clinic in town told her, you only can do donor eggs. I mean, she's like 31, 32. And I mean, she's running a marathon. That's what I say. Hey, your best friend might get to run a 5K and you're running a marathon. And has she had canceled cycles and other things? Yeah, but we've got three normal embryos in the bank, right? You can get there. You You just have to kind of have somebody who is understanding where you are and what your goals are and willing to walk the road with you and give you honest, I mean, these conversations, I mean, they're not fun to have with patients, right? Absolutely. Oh, uh, you got to expect, you know, zero to one at best, you know, embryos per cycle. Like that's devastating news, but right. it's something. And otherwise you might be looking at the loss of the ability to have a genetic child completely if it doesn't
0: work out for you otherwise. Yes, exactly. That I want to be your patient, Dr. Crawford.
1: Oh, Dr. Lim, I want to be your patient, um, but I love you. Well, I mean, I think I talked to you all day. I want to ask the last kind of question I want to ask, and I want you just to tell everybody where they can actually become your patient. But what is what's the what's the best, the top piece of advice you give for people who are considering? freezing their eggs or preserving their fertility what's kind of the the
0: top thing you want to say just just never hesitate to learn about your fertility learn about your body learn how fertility changes with age and learn about what your options are in a in a setting where you feel comfortable so that you can make the decision that's best for you and it's going to be different you know not every patient's going to choose the same thing but learning about your options is super empowering and learning about the process so you can make an informed decision is important really I like- I, feel, I feel like this is like the next thing in reproductive choice and health, because making a decision about your future fertility is just as important as preventing pregnancy when you're not ready to parent.
1: They really should go hand in hand. Like, at which, like, what are your goals? That's what I always say. With somebody asking about your goals or what you want, and if they're not, how are they tailoring a plan to you if they don't even right. understand right. What, what your goals would be if life was perfect, which obviously right. it's not always. But I love that piece of advice because knowledge is power. What you said earlier, you know, you can't make decisions on data you don't know. And so having an honest conversation with, Yourself being vulnerable with a doctor you trust about what you really would want and understanding what's realistic with the data so that you can be the one in the driver's seat. I mean, that's the best that we can do at the current moment. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I think there's so much stigma about fertility and there's so much unknown that it feels just scary to even consider doing some of the things we do every day. And I, like a patient's biggest cheerleader, I can get you through the process. Like that's my expertise. You just have to learn about it and decide if it's right for you. So that fear just needs you just give me that all that fear and I'll carry that for you and I'll take it away by teaching you about what the options are. So
1: I love you. You're the best.
0: I think it's hard. Poor. Patients like this is a lot. So I wish it was easier to learn about your fertility. I wish you didn't have to come and see a doctor. Like I would. So I guess that's part of where this book came from. Just like making it more available, so anyone can learn about how fertility changes. Yeah, um, you don't have to step in the doctor's office. Yeah, yes, and I'm time. I'm hoping it empowers women to reach out and ask their questions.
1: Well, tell us where we can find the book, how we get the book and tell us where people can find you online and in real life if they'd
0: like to become your patient. Oh, well, that's so sweet. So, you know, certainly um, if you live in Seattle and you want to come see me, you're always welcome. I practice in a group of six female physicians. We're all very like-minded. You're lovely. Now. You are all so lovely. Oh, we all take great care of patients. Um, our clinic's called Pacific Northwest Fertility and it's in Seattle and Bellevue. And you can find me online occasionally. Not, I'm not <laughs> nearly, <laughs> I'm nearly as astute as you on Instagram at Julie Lamb MD. And thanks to Dr. Crawford for my handle because she taught me everything I know about social media. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on Facebook and other things like that, but probably the easiest is, yeah, just the book can be found online at amazon.com. If you put in egg freezing and my name, it comes up and we tried to make it just cost as little as possible. I appreciate any feedback. You're welcome to email me or... De- Instant message me about any feedback you have about the book. I'm sure it will have other renditions in the future. And it's just been such a gift for me to give my patients. And it's made my job easier and more fun. Like, I. We have the best job in the world already. I come home and I just love it every day, even more. But this has really allowed me to educate my patients on a continual basis, not just on that one visit or in the two visits or in my short time with them during ultrasounds.
1: I, I think you are a gift to all of us. And thank you so much for coming on and spending your time with us today. All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I hope you learned a little bit about something and hopefully will help share with the people in your life. As always, I appreciate you so much showing up, sharing this podcast, talking about it. When I see patients in office who found me through this platform, it just blows my mind. You can always follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford, MD. Check out the YouTube, Natalie Crawford, MD. Or if you're a patient, you can check out Fora Fertility. Thanks, y'all.